Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The World of Percy Jackson. In this episode, we will read chapters 19 through 20. Now, in the previous ep- uh, in the previous episode, we read that Percy, Grover, Annabeth, Clarice, and Tyson had all been able to escape the Cyclops Polyphemus, and while they were returning back, they met Luke. And, of course, Percy and Luke went into a duel, and Percy obviously was able to escape, and... Clarice was able to bring the fleece back to the camp. So now we'll read chapter 19. The chariot race ends with a bang. We arrived in Log Island just after Clarice, thanks to the centaur's travel power. I rode on Sharon's back, but we didn't talk much, especially not about Kronos. I knew it had been difficult for Sharon to tell me. I didn't want to push him more with uh, push him with more questions. I mean, I've met plenty of embarrassing parents. But Kronos, the evil titan lord who wanted to destroy western civilization? Not the kind of dad you invite invited to school for career day. When we got to the camp, the centaurs were anxious to meet Dionysus. They heard he threw some really wild parties, but they were disappointed. The wine god was in no mood to celebrate as the whole camp gathered together at the top of Half-Blood Hill. The camp had been through a hard two weeks. The arts and crafts cabin had burned to the ground from an attack from a Draco Aeonius, which as near as I could figure was Latin for really big lizard with bread that blows stuff up. The big house's rooms were overflowing with wounded. The kids in the Apollo cabin, who were the best healers, had been working overtime performing first aid. Everybody, everybody looked weary and battered as we crowded around Thalia's tree. The moment Clarice draped the golden fleece over the lowest bough, the moonlight seemed to brighten, turning from gray to liquid silver. A cool breeze rustled in the branches and rippled through the grass, all the way into the valley. Everything came into sharper focus. The glow of the fireflies down in the woods, the smell of the strawberry fields, the sound of the waves on the beach. Gradually, the needles on the pine tree started turning from brown to green. Everybody cheered. It was happening slowly, but there could be no doubt. The fleece's magic was seeping into the tree, filling it with new power and expelling the poison. Sharon ordered a 24-7 guard duty on the hilltop, at least until he could figure an appropriate moment to protect the fleece. He said he'd place an ad in Olympus Weekly right away. In the meantime, Clarice was carried on, carried on her cabin mate's shoulders down to the amphitheater, where she was honored with a laurel wreath and a lot of celebrating around the campfire. Nobody gave Annabeth or me a second look. It was as if we'd never left. In a way, I guess that was the best thank you anyone could give us, because if they admitted we'd snuck out of camp to do the quest, they'd have to expel us. And really, I didn't want any more attention. It felt good to be just one of the campers for once. Later that night, as we were roasting s'mores and listening to the Stoll brothers tell us a ghost story about an evil king who was eaten alive by demonic breakfast pastries, Clarice shoved me from behind and whispered in my ear, Just because you were cool one time, Jackson, just don't think you're off the hook with Ares. I'm still waiting for the right opportunity to pulverize you. I gave her a grudging smile. What? She demanded. Nothing, I said. Just good to be home. The next morning after the party ponies headed back to Florida, Sharon made a surprise announcement. The chariot races would go ahead as scheduled. We'd all figured they were history now that Tantalus was gone, but completing them did feel like the right thing to do, especially now that Sharon was back and the camp was safe. Tyson wasn't too keen on the idea of getting back in a chariot after a first experience, 
But he was happy to let me team up with Annabeth. I would drive, Annabeth would defend, and Tyson would act as our picked groom. While I worked with the horses, Tyson fixed up Athena's chariot and added a whole bunch of special modifications. We spent the next two days training like crazy. Annabeth and I agreed that if we won, the prize of no chores for the rest of the month would be split between our two cabins. Since Athena had more campers, they would get most of the time off, which was fine by me. I didn't care about the prize. I just wanted to win. The night before the race, I stayed late at the stables. I was talking to our horses, giving them one final brushing, when somebody right behind me said, Fine animal horses. Wish I'd thought of them. A middle-aged guy in a postal carrier outfit was leaning against the stable door. He was slim with curly black hair under his white pith helmet, and he had a mailbag slung over his shoulder. Hermes? I stammered. Hello, Percy. Didn't recognize me without my jogging clothes? Uh, I wasn't sure whether I was supposed to kneel or buy stamps from him or what. Then it occurred to me why he must be here. Oh, listen, Lord Hermes about Luke. The god arched his eyebrows. Uh, We saw him, all right? I said, but you weren't able to talk sense into him? Well, we kind of tried to kill each other in a duel to the death. I see. You tried the diplomatic approach. I'm really sorry. I mean, you gave us those awesome gifts and everything, and I know you wanted Luke to come back. But he's turned bad. Really bad. He said he feels like you abandoned him. I waited for Hermes to get angry. I figured he'd turn me into a hamster or something, and I did not want to spend any more time as a rodent. Instead, he just sighed. (sighs) Do you ever feel your father abandon you, Percy? Oh, man. I wanted to say, only a few hundred times a day? I hadn't spoken to Poseidon since last summer. I'd never even been to his underwater palace. And then there was the whole thing with Tyson. No warning, no explanation, just boom, you have a brother. You'd think that deserved a little heads-up phone call or something. The more I thought about it, the angrier I got. I realized I did want recognition for the quest I completed, but not from the other campers. I wanted my dad to say something, to notice me. Hermes readjusted the mailbag on his shoulder. Percy, the hardest part about being a god is that you must often act indirectly, especially when it comes to your own children. If we were to intervene every time our children had a problem, well, that would only create more problems and more resentment. But I believe if you give it some thought, you will see that Poseidon has been paying attention to you. He has answered your prayers. I can only hope that someday, Luke may realize the same about me. Whether you feel like you succeeded or not, you reminded Luke who he was. You spoke to him. I tried to kill him. Hermes shrugged. Families are messy. Immortal families are eternally messy. Sometimes the best we can do is remind each other that we're related, for better or worse and try to keep the maiming and killing to a minimum. It didn't sound like much of a recipe for a perfect family. Then again, as I thought about my quest, I realized maybe Hermes was right. Poseidon had sent the Hippocampi to help us. He'd given me powers over the sea that I'd never known about before. And then there was Tyson. Had Poseidon brought us together on purpose? How many times had Tyson saved my life this summer? In the distance, the conch horn sounded, signaling curfew. You should get to bed, Hermes said. I've helped you get into quite enough trouble this summer already. I really only came to make this delivery. A delivery? I am the messenger of the gods, Percy. 
He took an electronic signature pad from his mailbag and handed it to me. Sign there, please. I picked up the stylus before realizing it was entwined with a pair of tiny green snakes. Ah! I dropped the pad. Ouch, said George. Really, Percy? Martha scolded. Would you want to be dropped on the floor of a horse stable? Oh, uh, sorry. I didn't much like touching snakes, but I picked up the pad and the stylus again. Martha and George wriggled under my fingers, forming a kind of pencil grip like the ones my special ed teacher made me use in second grade. Did you bring me a rat? George asked. No, I said. Oh, we didn't find any. What about a guinea pig? George! Martha shouted. Don't tease the boy! I signed my name and gave the pad back to Hermes. In exchange, he handed me a sea blue envelope. My fingers trembled. Even before I opened it, I could tell it was from my father. I could sense his power in the cool blue of paper, as if the envelope itself had been folded out of an ocean wave. Good luck tomorrow, Hermes said. Fine team of horses you have there. Though you'll have to excuse me if I root for the Hermes cabin. And don't be too discouraged when you read it, dear, Martha told me. He does have your interests at heart. What do you mean? I asked. Don't mind her, George said. And next time, snakes work for tips. Enough, you two, Hermes said. Goodbye, Percy, for now. Small white wings sprouted from his pith helmet. He began to glow, and I knew enough about the gods to avert my eyes before he revealed his true divine form. With a brilliant white flash, he was gone, and I was alone with the horses. I stared at the blue envelope in my hands. It was addressed in strong but elegant handwriting that I that I'd seen once before, on a package Poseidon had sent me last summer. Percy Jackson, Camp Half Blood, Farm Road 3.141, Long Island, New York 11954. An actual letter from my father. Maybe he would tell me I'd done a good job getting the fleece. He'd explain about Tyson or apologize for not talking to me sooner. There were so many things that I wanted that letter to say. I opened the envelope and unfolded the paper. Two simple words were printed in the middle of the page. Brace yourself. The next morning, everybody was buzzing about the chariot race, though they kept glancing nervously toward the sky like they expected to see Stymphalian birds gathering. None did. It was a beautiful summer day with blue sky and plenty of sunshine. The camp had started to look the way it should look. The meadows were green and lush. The white columns gleamed on the Greek buildings. Dryads played happily in the woods. And I was miserable. I'd been lying awake all night thinking about Poseidon's warning. Brace yourself. I mean, he goes to the trouble of writing a letter and he writes two words? Martha the Snake had told me not to feel disappointed. Maybe Poseidon had a reason for being so vague. Maybe he didn't know exactly what he was warning me about. But he said something big was about to happen. Something that could completely knock me off my feet unless I was prepared. It was hard, but I tried to turn my thoughts to the race. As Annabeth and I drove onto the track, I couldn't help admiring the work Tyson had done on the Athena chariot. The carriage gleamed with bronze reinforcements. The wheels were realigned with magical suspension, so we glide along with hardly a bump. The rigging for the horses was so perfectly balanced that the team turned at the slightest tug of the reins. Tyson had also made us two javelins, each with three buttons on the shaft. The first button primed the javelin to explode on impact, releasing a razor wire that would tangle and shred an opponent's wheels. The second button produced a blunt, 
but still very painful, bronze spearhead designed to knock a driver out of his carriage. The third button brought up a grappling hook that could be used to lock onto an enemy's chariot or push it away. I figured we were in pretty good shape for the race, but Tyson still warned me to be careful. The other chariot teams had plenty of tricks up, uh, up their togas. Here, he said, just before the race began. He handed me a wristwatch. There wasn't anything special about it, just a white and silver clock face. A black leather strip, but as soon as I saw it, I realized that this was what I'd seen him tinkering on all summer. I didn't usually like to wear watches. Who cared what time it was? But I couldn't say no to Tyson. Thanks, man. I put it on and found it was surprisingly light and comfortable. I could hardly tell I was wearing it. Didn't finish in time for the trip, Tyson mumbled. Sorry, sorry. Hey, man, no big deal. If you need protection in race, he advised, hit the button. Ah, okay. I didn't see how keeping time was going to help a whole lot, but I was touched that Tyson was concerned, and I promised I'd remember the watch. And, hey, I'm Tyson. He looked at me. I wanted to say, well, I tried to figure out how to apologize for getting embarrassed about him before the quest, for telling everyone he wasn't my real brother. It wasn't easy to find the words. I know what you will tell me, Tyson said, looking ashamed. Poseidon did care for me after all. Ah, uh, well, he sent you to help me. Just what I asked for. I blinked. You asked Poseidon for me? For a friend, Tyson said, twisting his shirt into his hands. Young Cyclops grow up alone on the streets, learning to make things out of scraps. Learn to survive. But that's so cruel. He shook his head earnestly. Makes us appreciate blessings, not be greedy and mean and fat like Polyphemus. But I got scared. Monsters chased me so much, clawed me sometimes. The scars on your back? A tear well in his eye. Sphinx on 72nd Street. Big bully. I prayed to daddy for help. Soon the people at Merriweather found me. Met you. Biggest blessing ever. Sorry I said Poseidon was mean. He sent me a brother. I stared at the watch that Tyson had made me. Percy! Ambit called. Come on! Sharon was at the starting line, ready to blow the conch. Tyson, I said. Go! Tyson said, you will win. I, yeah, okay, big guy. We'll win this one for you. I climbed on board the chariot and got into position just as Sharon blew the starting signal. The horses knew what to do. We shot down the track so fast, I would have fallen out if my arms hadn't been wrapped in the leather reins. Ambit held on tight to the rail. The wheels glided beautifully. We took the first turn a full chariot length ahead of Clarice, who was busy trying to fight off a javelin at attack from the Stoll brothers in the Hermes chariot. We've got him, I yelled, but I still spoke too soon. Incoming, Ambit yelled. She threw her first javelin in, javelin in grappling hook mode, knocking it away a lead-weighted net that would have entangled us both. Apollo's chariot had come up on our flank. Before Annabeth could re rearm herself, the Apollo warrior threw a javelin into our right wheel. The javelin shattered, but not before snapping some of our spokes. Our chariot lurched and wobbled. I was sure the wheel would collapse altogether, but we somehow kept going. 
I urged the horses to keep up the speed. We were now neck and neck with Apollo. Hephaestus was coming up close behind. Ares and Hermes were falling behind, riding side by side as Clarice went sword on javelin with Connor stole. If we took one more hit to our wheel, I knew we would capsize. You're mine, the driver from Apollo yelled. He was a first-year camper. I don't remember his name, but he sure was confident. Yeah, right. Annabeth yelled back. She picked up her second javelin, a real risk considering we still had one full lap to go, and threw it at the Apollo driver. Her aim was perfect. The javelin grew a heavy spear point just as it caught the driver in the chest, knocking him against his teammate and sending them both toppling out of their chariot in a backward somersault. somersault. The horses felt the reins go slack and grew, went crazy, riding, riding straight for the crowd. Campers scrambling, scrambled for cover as the horses leaped the corner out of the bleachers and the golden chariot flipped over. The horses galloped back toward their stable, dragging the upside-down chariot behind them. I held our own chariot together through the second turn. Despite the groaning of the right wheel, we passed the starting line and thundered into our final lap. The axle creaked and moaned. The wobbling wheel was, was making us lose speed, even though the horses were responding to my every command, running like a well-oiled machine. The Hephaestus team was still gaining. Beckendorf grinned as he pressed a button on his command console. Steel cables shot out of the front of his mechanical horses, wrapping around us our, our back rail. Our chariot shuddered as Beckendorf's winch system started working, pulling us backward while Beckendorf pulled himself forward. Annabeth cursed and drew her knife. She hacked at the cables, but they were too thick. Can't cut them, she yelled. The Hephaestus chariot was now dangerously close, their horses about to trample us underfoot. Switch with me, I told Annabeth. Take the reins. But trust me. She pulled herself to the front and grabbed the reins. I, I turned, trying hard to keep my foot and footing and an uncapped riptide. I slashed and the cable snapped like kite string. We lurched forward, but Beckendorf's driver just swung his chariot to our left and pulled up next to us. Beckendorf drew his sword. He slashed at Annabeth and I parried the blade away. We were coming up on the last turn. We never make it. I needed to disable the Hephaestus chariot and get it out of the way, but I had to protect Annabeth too. Just because Beckendorf was a nice guy didn't mean he, would, he wouldn't send us both to the infirmary if we we didn't let our guard down. We were neck and neck now. Clarice coming up from behind, making up for lost time. See ya, Percy, Beckendorf yelled. Here's a little parting gift. He threw a leather pouch into our chariot. It began, it stuck to the floor immediately and began billow, billowing uh, green smoke. Greek fire, Ambit yelled. I cursed. I'd heard stories about what Greek fire could do. I figured we had maybe 10 seconds before it exploded. Get rid of it! But I couldn't. Hephaestus' chariot was still alongside, waiting until the last second to make up. They make sure their little present blew up. Beckendorf was keeping me busy with his sword. If I let my guard down long enough to deal with the Greek fire, Ambeth would get sliced and we'd get crashed. We'd crash anyway. I tried to kick the leather pouch away with my foot, but I couldn't. It was stuck fast. Then I remembered the watch. I didn't know how it could help, but I managed to punch the stopwatch button. Instantly, the watch changed. It expanded like metal rims spiraling out like outward like an old-fashioned camera shutter. A leather strap wrap wrapping, wrapping around my forearm until I was holding a round war shield four feet wide, the inside soft leather, and out, the outside polished browns and grayed with designs I didn't have a time to ex examine. All I knew, Tyson had come through. I raised the shield and Beckendorf's sword clanged against it. His blade shattered. What? He shouted. How? He didn't have time to say more because I knocked him in the chest with my new shield and sent him flying out of his chariot, tumbling in the dirt. I was about to use Riptide to slash at the driver when Annabeth yelled, Percy! 
The Greek fire was shooting sparks. I shoved the tip of my sword under the leather pouch and flipped it up like a spatula. The firebomb dislodged and flew into the Hephaestus chariot at the driver's feet. He yelped. In a split second, the driver made the right choice. He dove out of the chariot, which careened away and exploded into green flames. The metal horses seemed to short-circuit. They turned and dragged the burning wreckage back toward Clarice and the Stoll brothers, who had to swerve to avoid it. Annabeth pulled the reins for the last turn. I held on. Sure, we would capsize, but somehow she brought us through and spurred the horses across the finish line. The crowd roared. Once the chariot stopped, our friends mobbed us. They started chanting our names. But Annabeth yelled over the noise. Hold up! Listen, it wasn't just us. The crowd didn't want to be quiet, but Amit made herself heard. We couldn't have done it without somebody else. We couldn't have won this race or gotten the fleece or saved Grover or anything. We owe our lives to Tyson. Percy's brother, I said loud enough for everybody to hear. Tyson, my baby brother. Tyson blushed. The crowd cheered. Amit planted a kiss on my cheek. The roaring got a lot louder after that. The entire Athena cabin lifted me and Annabeth and Tyson onto their shoulders and carried us toward the winner's platform, where Sharon was waiting to bestow the laurel wreaths. And that was the end of chapter 19. But don't worry, guys. After these ads, we will read chapter 20. The fleece works its magic too well. So don't go anywhere after these ads. And we are back from the ads. Now, in the previous chapter, Percy and Annabeth and Tyson had won the chariot race. And now we're going to read chapter 20. The fleece works its magic too well. That afternoon was one of the happiest I'd ever spent at camp, which maybe goes to show you never know when your world is about to be rocketed to pieces. Grover announced that he'd be able to spend the rest of the summer with us before resuming his quest for Pan. His bosses at the Council of Cloven Elders were so impressed that he, got, he hadn't gotten himself killed and had cleared the way for future searchers, that they granted him a two-month furlough and a new set of reed pipes. The only bad news? Grover insisted on playing those pipes all afternoon long, and his musical skills hadn't improved much. He played YMCA, and the strawberry plants started going crazy, wrapping around our feet like they were trying to strangle us. I guess I couldn't blame them. Grover told me he could dissolve the empathy link between us, now that we are face-to-face. But I told him I'd just as soon keep it, if that was okay with him. He put down his reed pipes and stared at me. But if I get in trouble again, you'll be in danger, Percy. You could die. If you get in trouble again, I want to know about it. And I'll come help you again, G-Man. I wouldn't have it any other way. In the end, he agreed not to break the link. He went back to playing YMCA for the strawberry plants. I didn't need an empathy link with the plants to know how they felt about it. Later on during archery archery class, Sharon pulled me aside and told me he'd fix my problems with Meriwether Prep. The The school no longer blamed me for destroying their gymnasium. The police were no longer looking for me. How did you manage that? I asked. Sharon's eyes twinkled. I merely suggested that the mortals had seen something different on that day. A furnace explosion that was not your fault. You just said that and they bought it? I manipulated the mist. Someday when you're ready, I'll show how it's done. You mean I can go back to Merriweather next year? Sharon raised his eyebrows. Oh, no. They still expelled you. Your headmaster, Mr. Bonsai, said you had... How did he put it? Ungroovy karma that disrupted the school's educational aura. 
but you're not in any illegal trouble, which was a relief to your mother. Oh, and speaking of your mother. He unclipped his cell phone from his quiver and handed it to me. It's high time you called her. The worst part was the beginning. The, Percy Jackson, what were you thinking? Do you have any idea how worried I was? I was sneaking off to camp without permission, going on dangerous quests and scaring me half the death part? But finally she paused to catch her breath. Oh, I'm just so glad you're safe. That's the great thing about my mom. She's no good at staying angry. She tries, but it just isn't in her nature. I'm sorry, mom. I told her. I won't scare you again. Don't promise me that, Percy. You know very well it'll only get worse. She tried to sound casual about it, but I could tell she was pretty shaken up. I wanted to say something to make her feel better, but I knew she was right. Being a half-blood, I would always be doing things that scared her. And as I got older, the dangers would just get greater. I, I could come home for a while, I offered. No, no, stay at camp, train, do what you need to do. But you will come home for the next school year? Yeah, of course, uh, if there's any school that will take me. Oh, we'll find something, dear, my mother sighed. <sighs> place where they don't know us yet. As for Tyson, the campers treated him like a hero. I would have been happy to have him as my cabin mate forever. But that evening, as we were sitting on a sand dune overlooking the Long Island Sound, he made an announcement that completely took me by surprise. Dream came from daddy last night, he said. He wants me to visit. I wondered if he was kidding, but Tyson really didn't know how to kid. Poseidon sent you a dream message? Tyson nodded. Wants me to go underwater for the rest of the summer. Learn to work at Cyclops Forges. He called it an inter... an intern... An internship? Yes. I let that sink in. I'll admit, I felt a little jealous. Poseidon had never invited me underwater, but then I thought, Tyson was going? Just like that? When would you leave? I asked. No. Now? Like, now now? No. I stared out at the waves in the Long Island Sound. The water was glistening red in the sunset. I'm happy for you, big guy. I managed. Seriously. Or to leave my new brother. He said with a tremble in his voice. But I want to make things. Weapons for the camp. You will need them. Unfortunately, I knew he was right. The fleece hadn't solved all the camp's problems. Luke was still out there gathering an army aboard the Princess Andromeda. Kronos was still reforming in his golden coffin. Eventually, we would have to fight them. You make the best weapons ever, I told Tyson. I held up my watch proudly. I bet they'll tell good time too. Tyson sniffled. <laughs> Brothers help each other. You're my brother, I said. No, no doubt about it. He patted me on the back so hard he almost knocked me down the sand dune. Then he wiped a tear from his cheek and stood to go. Use the shield well. I will, big guy. Save your life someday. The way he said it so, matter of fact, I wonder if that Cyclops I was could see into the future. He headed down to the beach and whistled. Rainbow, the hippocampus, burst out of the waves. I watched the two of them ride off to together into the realm of Poseidon. Once they were gone, I looked down at my new wristwatch. I pressed the button and shield spiraled out to full size. Hammered into the bronze were pictures in ancient Greek style, 
scenes from our adventure this summer. There was Annabeth slaying a Lashragonian dodgeball player, me fighting the bronze bulls on Half-Blood Hill, Tyson riding Rainbow down toward the Princess Andromeda, the CSS Birmingham blasting its cannons at Cherubdis. I ran my hand across the picture of Tyson, battling the Hydra as he held aloft a box of monster donuts. I couldn't help feeling sad. I knew Tyson would have an awesome time under the ocean, but I missed everything about him. His fascination with horses, the way he could fix chariots or crumple metal with his bare hands or tie bad guys into knots. I'd even miss miss him snoring like an earthquake in the next bunk all night. Hey, Percy. I turned. Ambeth and Grover were standing at the top of the sand dune. I guess maybe I had some sand in my eyes, because I was blinking a lot. Tyson, I told them. He had to. We know, Ambeth said softly. Sharon told us. Cyclops forges. Grover shuddered. I hear the cafeteria food there is terrible. Like no enchiladas at all. Ambeth held out her hand. Come on, seaweed brain. Time for dinner. We walked back toward the dining pavilion together. Just the three of us, like old times. A storm raged that night, but it parted around Camp Half-Flood as storms usually did. Lightning flashed against the horizon. Waves pounded the shore, but not a drop fell in our valley. We were protected again, thanks to the fleece, sealed inside our magical borders. Still, my dreams were restless. I heard Kronos taunting me from the depths of Tartarus, Polyphemus sits blindly in his cave, young hero, believing he has won a great victory. Are you any less deluded? The titan's cold laughter filled the darkness. Then my dream changed. I was following Tyson to the bottom of the sea, into the court of Poseidon. It was a radiant hall filled with blue light, the floor cobbled with pearls. And there, on a throne of coral, sat my father, dressed like a simple fisherman in khaki shorts and a sun-bleached t-shirt. I looked up into this tan-weathered face, his deep green eyes, and he spoke two words. Brace yourself. I woke with a start. There was a banging on the door. Grover flew inside without waiting for permission. Percy, he stammered. Annabeth, on the, on the hill, she... The look in his eyes told me something was terribly wrong. Annabeth had been on guard duty that night, protecting the fleece. If something bad had happened... I ripped off the covers, my blood like ice water in my veins. I threw on some clothes while Grover tried to make a complete sentence, but he was too stunned, too out of breath. She's lying there, just lying there. I ran outside and raced across the central yard, Grover right behind me. Dawn was just breaking, but the whole camp seemed to be stirring. Word was spreading, something huge had happened. A few campers were already making their way toward the hill. Satires and nymphs and heroes in a weird mix of armor and pajamas. I heard the clop of horse hooves, and Sharon galloped galloped behind us, looking grim. Is it... is it true? He asked Grover. Grover could only nod, his expression dazed. I tried to ask what was going on, but Sharon grabbed me by the arm and effortlessly left, lifted me onto his back. Together, we thundered up Half-Blood Hill, where a small crowd had started to gather. I expected to see the fleece missing from the pine tree, but it was still there, glittering in the first light of dawn. The storm had broken, and the sky was blood red. "'Curse the Titan Lord,' Sharon said. "'He's tricked us again, given himself another chance to control the prophecy.' "'What do you mean?' I said. I asked. "'The fleece,' he said." The fleece did its work too well. 
We galloped forward, everyone moving out of the way. There at the base of the tree, a girl was lying unconscious. Another girl in Greek armor was kneeling next to her. Blood roared in my ears. I couldn't think straight. Annabeth had been attacked? But why was the flea still there? The tree itself looked perfectly fine, whole and healthy, suffused with the essence of the golden fleece. It healed the tree, Sean said, his voice ragged. And poison was not the only thing it purged. And then I realized Annabeth wasn't the only one, only li- one lying on the ground. She was the one in armor, kneeling next to the unconscious girl. When Annabeth saw us, she ran to Sharon. It, it, she just suddenly there. Her eyes were streaming with tears, but I still didn't understand. I was too freaked out to make sense of it at all. I leaped off Sharon's back and ran toward the unconscious girl. Sharon said, Percy, wait. I knelt by her side. She had short black hair and freckles across her nose. She was built like a long-distance runner, lithe and strong. She w- and she wore clothes that were somewhere between punk and goth. A black t-shirt, black tattered jeans, and a leather jacket with buttons from a bunch of brands I'd never heard of. She wasn't a camper. I didn't recognize her from any of the cabins, and yet I had the strangest feeling I'd seen her before. It, It's true, Grover said, panting from his run up the hill. I... I can't believe... Nobody else came close to the girl. I put my hand on her forehead. Her skin was cold, but my fingertips tingled as if they were burning. She needs nectar and ambrosia, I said. She was clearly a half-blood. Whether she was a camper or not, I could sense that just from anyone at one touch, I didn't understand why everyone was acting so scared. I took her by the shoulders and lifted her into sitting position, resting her head on my shoulder. Come on, I yelled to the others. What's wrong with you people? Let's get her to the big house. No one moved. Not even Sharon. They were all too stunned. Then the girl took a shaky breath. She coughed and opened her eyes. Her irises were startling blue. Electric blue. The girl stared at me in bewilderment, shivering and wild-eyed. Who? I'm Percy, I said. You're safe now. Strangest dream. It's okay. Dying. No, I assured her. You're okay. What's your name? That's when I knew, even before she said it. That girl's blue eyes stared into mine, and I understood what the Golden Fleece quest had been about. The poisoning of the tree. Everything. Kronos had done it to bring another chess piece into play. Another chance to control the prophecy. Even Sharon, Annabeth, and Grover, who should should have been celebrating this moment, were too shocked. Thinking about what it might mean for the future. And I was holding someone who was destined to be my best friend, or possibly my worst enemy. I'm Thalia, the girl said, daughter of Zeus. And that is the end of the book, guys. Oh my goodness, that was an amazing book, considering how Thalia was able to come back to life, and how the Golden Fleece actually healed Thalia. Stay tuned for next week to hear, to see as I start the new book, book three which is the titan's curse and until then stay safe and stay out of boredom